everyone, I'm Katherine Rudder, and you're listening to Life in the Fast Chain. For this episode, I have James Carlisle on to discuss Corda Network, which we just announced today. Check out our press release, James's blog post, and more to learn more about it and why it's important. Before we get into it, uh, James tells a crazy story about being lost at sea for about a month. A month. <laughs> crazy town. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoy it and learn a lot about Corda Network and Corda Network Foundation. I'm here with James Carlisle in the London studio. How are you today? I am very well. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm happy to have you. So we have to start off because I heard a rumor that you uh, were lost at sea. Can you confirm or deny? I'm so interested in that. I was lost at sea for a while. Yeah. For how long? Uh, for about a month. <laughs> what? I would just die. Uh, My heart would stop. I would die. No, well, you just have to, um, I guess, take one day at a time. Yeah. And um, we, we were sailing in the Pacific, uh, okay. halfway between the Galapagos and the Marquesas, which actually is the sort of the biggest open stretch of the Pacific, pretty much, if you're sa- sailing around the world. Oh and um, our rudder broke off. And uh, so we couldn't steer. We couldn't oh go in the direction we wanted. So how did you solve that? Uh, well, we spent three days trying to build an emergency rudder uh, from different things we could find on board the boat. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we ended up with um, a baking tray strapped to a, what's called a spinnaker pole, uh, draped over the back of the boat trying to steer with this thing. Okay. Uh, and it's successfully, obviously, because you're on land. Yes. Yeah, we were successful. It was very, very slow. Yeah. The top speed we could do was uh, about one mile an hour <gasps> and over one and a half thousand miles. No so, way. How many people were you with? Uh, I was with three other people. And um, we started to run out of food. We had a little bit of diesel on board. Okay. Um, but I was with some Americans, and they decided that uh, they wanted to preserve the fuel in order to run the generator, mm-hmm. in order to uh, make ice okay. for the cocktails. <laughs> oh, my God. I did not know that was where that was going. Yeah. Hey. So okay. we, we ran out of food. The canapes got odder and odder. We had sort of flying fish that flopped onto the deck, which we'd scoop up and saute. Oh and serve goodness. on crackers. That was fun. Uh, with with <laughs> cocktails. <laughs> with cocktails. <laughs> At least you had uh, had some alcohol. I don't even know what I would do, especially because I don't eat fish. Is that like the only thing you could eat because you ran out of food? Yeah, pretty much. It is. I learned to bake bread, though. That was the other thing. How? <laughs> well, um, you have to fill your time doing something. You have to keep your mind That's active. That's true. And we had some flour on board. Uh, oh, and, my goodness. And we figured we could make bread with beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and use the beer to, to create a yeast, and then we'd make, make the bread that way. That's very creative. Yeah, I, well. I wouldn't yeah. have thought of that. So what was, like, the temperature? And I know we need to go back. We need to go on to, like, <laughs> why you're here. <laughs> but what was the temperature like? Did you have, sun, like, sunscreen? Uh, we, we was the tropics, of course, so it was yeah. hot every day. And, so um, what, did you get really tan and burnt? We were unbelievably lean by the end. Mm. Yeah. I have some photos of me. I've never been that fit. <laughs> Really? Before or after. Yeah, I guess, because you have nothing to really do. Nothing except... to do apart from winch. Yeah. Winch the stupid uh, rudder. Winch. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. That is a very, very fun fact. I don't have anything like that. So that's very cool. Thank I'm you. happy you successfully made it back. <laughs> so that, you can talk about the Corda Network. Woohoo! Woohoo! So um, the Corda Network is something we've been thinking about ever since we designed Corda. 
So we started uh, three years ago. Uh, we thinking about Corda as this platform that you could use to manage agreements between parties. And um, we realized, of course, that the participants need to be able to talk to each other. They need a network. Mm -hmm. uh, but right from the outset, we imagined that Corda Network would be this one big internet of Corda nodes, not a sort of segregated or, or isolated network. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and that's what we put out in the original designs, uh, in the original design thinking we did. And then we got to a point where we realized that we were selling or pitching Corda to use in different projects and different use cases. And we saw that the organizations that were running those projects, they only thought of running a, an isolated Corda network mm -hmm. for their particular business. Okay. They weren't thinking about the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. and, we, and we realized that there was an opportunity to, to develop the, the bigger picture and, and I suppose say to uh, these project leaders, you can run your application on top of this bigger Corda network. You don't have to build your own. Yeah. So that's um, what we have been doing <laughs> for the last couple of years. We've had uh, quarter networks that we've been running, mm -hmm. but they haven't been production grade. Yeah. Um, so we had uh, th something called Testnet, yep. which was a network that people could join to try out quarter and to run applications on um, from even before we had quarter uh, 1.0. Yeah. So uh, probably about two years ago, uh, the milestone releases had Testnets. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and then we did more work to improve, I suppose, the user interface, the user experience of Testnet, mm -hmm. allow people to, to come on more easily. Um, and we started to run, for example, uh, projects with uh, software vendors, partners in our partner network, mm -hmm. and participants drawn from uh, the community of um, financial institutions and other uh, uh, members who are part of the sort of R3 alliance. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we've been running those large-scale projects on uh, Testnet for some time now. Yeah. Where we're going with Corda Network is now those projects are seeking to go into production. We need a production-grade network capable mm -hmm. of supporting them. I feel like we have so many tools for people to like be able to use Corda in the best way. Yeah. For our partners specifically, and the quarter network is is a great example of that. So why does it matter? So it matters that we have one big quarter network because it makes quarter more useful. So That's it. <laughs> it's pretty simple. <laughs> That's but, it. Um, quarter was designed uh, with interoperability in mind, and mm -hmm. and the very first uh, application actually we built on quarter was uh, a bond, and and we showed that you could um, sell or buy a bond mm -hmm. by exchanging it with cash. So if you go all the way back to the very first prototype we built, it showed that thing happening. Mm -hmm. And of course, that implies that you have uh, cash and bonds on the same network. Got it. Now, um, it, imp it implies that if you want to interoperate, you've got to have these different applications able to be used together. Of, of course, it makes mm -hmm. it's obvious when you say it like that. And that means that uh, instead of having a network for each different application, mm -hmm. you need one application to mingle with other applications on a larger network. Yeah. Like, it's like the internet. Yeah, it is. So we think of uh, quarter network like the internet of quarter nodes. And the idea is that if you have an internet, it the internet itself is kind of in the background. You don't really uh, know what's happening with it. You don't perhaps even understand how it's controlled and governed. Mm -hmm. But it's there and you can rely on it. And yeah. you can build cool applications on top of it. 
mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to do with Corda Network, to be um, almost an invisible technical network that people can build cool applications on top of. Yeah, that makes sense. So then you, I know that we had the root key ceremony here. And why was that important? Because I remember when it was first happening, it was such a massively big deal. And we had a bunch of people here um, and we recorded it. And I'll link to that in the bio. But um, what's the deal with the root key ceremony? Well, the point of uh, a permission network is that you know who your counterparties are on the network. You know their identity. You, you know that... Uh, you can trust them. You can trust mm-hmm. who they say they are. Um, and one of the most fundamental things about any distributed network is this issue of trust. Mm-hmm. Y- y- it only makes sense if uh, you understand, as I said, the, the, the other side's identity. You also understand the process by which they, they sign transactions. We want mm-hmm. quarter transactions to be... Um, non-reputable. That means that they can be used in a court of law. Someone can say, only this person could have signed this transaction. Mm-hmm. That, that, that people can't deny what's happened. Yeah. Um, and that means that uh, all of the keys that are used to sign transactions need to stem from a key that is understood by everyone. So yeah. that's what the, the so-called trust route is. Got it. And um, the internet has trust routes as well, of course. Mm-hmm. So um, when you look at a padlock in a browser, mm-hmm. you're actually that's an indication of a certificate that's been issued uh, to someone who runs a website by something called a certificate authority. Okay. And the certificate authority holds the trust route. And mm-hmm. then anyone who wants to know uh, who provided the certificate for the website owner can look at the certificate chain. Mm-hmm. Certificates have a chain, and you can chain all the way back to see who the original certificate authority was that, that signed the certificate. Okay. So, so these trust routes are really important. They allow people to have uh, faith in and trust uh, the system. Now, um, the trust route itself has to be protected really carefully. Yeah. If the trust so there's one trust route. There's one trust route. Got it. Yeah. I'm following. I'm, <laughs> my, my wheels are turning here. Right. <laughs> okay. There's, there's one trust route. Um, with... The internet, there are multiple trust routes, Okay. Uh, just to be clear. So the, there can be different certificate authorities, but there aren't so many of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and browser manufacturers decide which ones they're going to trust mm-hmm. and which ones they're going to include uh, certificates of in their browser distributions. Mm-hmm. Well, we have the same thing. So we have a trust route. Um, there's, there's one of ours, uh, and it's really important that it's protected properly. Mm-hmm. And it has to prove, or we have to show, for people to be able to trust it, that the way it was created and the way it's been managed ever since is beyond reproach. It's mm-hmm. beyond question. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as soon as people have doubts in it, then um, then they cease to trust it effectively. Yeah. So the way in which we created it took about a year of effort. I saw some of the documents. I was like, how could you think of, there's so many different things that you have to think about. Yeah. I mean, there is for uh, web certificate authorities, there is, I suppose, now uh, a set of knowledge about best practice for managing trust routes. Mm. Um, We were very careful to uh, accommodate and uh, adopt all of that uh, wisdom in the way we set ours up. Um, But we had people working on this, probably a man year worth of effort. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had to uh, acquire lots of hardware to, to operate this. 
uh, multiple hardware s- security modules, HSMs, mm-hmm. uh, which are pretty expensive. Um, and we had a ceremony with seven board members from R3. Mm-hmm. These guys are managing directors in large institutions and some of our partners as well. Um, and we also had a set of auditors, uh, a company called Shellman over from the US. Uh, they do audit for uh, web certificate authorities. Cool. So, so all of this was constructed to allow people to trust what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, on the day itself, it took about eight hours because uh, we had to set up all the hardware out of uh, un- unwrap the boxes that it came in and set it up from scratch. Yeah. Um, and then uh, literally key in everything by hand according to a script. Yeah, and so that was all written out and all kind of done so meticulously because of how important it is for you to trust the key. Yeah, we have something like uh, uh, eight hours of video from three different camera angles and um, everything's (laughs) logged and audited. We promise it's there. (laughs) Well, it's not only there, it's public. Yeah, You know, so it's really important that it is available for anyone who wants to to check for themselves whether what we're saying happened, happened. They can go do that. So it's all on the... Corda.network website. Yes, it is. And it's also on our Corda YouTube channel. It's in little playlists. But so what What if something happens to the key? You're saying we're saying nothing can happen to it, right? Right. Okay, so that's not even a question I should be asking. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, nothing should happen to it. And um, one of the ways we make sure that nothing happens to it is uh, we don't actually keep it online. So the key is backed up multiple times and it's sharded. It's split across multiple backups. Mm-hmm. And then the shards are distributed in multiple copies okay, uh, yeah. so this uh, is across like lots of different geographic regions. Intense. And um, we, we actually redesigned our certificate hierarchy so that we can keep the, the root, mm-hmm. the root key, we can keep that offline forever. We never, ever need to go back to it. Or if we do, something very strange has happened. Okay. Um, But that's not going to happen. We have intermediate keys that are now stored in HSMs, these hardware security modules. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even they are, we call them air-gapped. It means they're not actually connected to the outside world. Cool. For as a security measure. Ooh, this is intense. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's... It sounds like a lot of work, and it is a lot of work. Yeah, it really does sound like a lot of work because it's hard to get people who may not necessarily trust something, someone, whatever, to trust you. So that's why it takes so much effort, I would assume. Yes, it does. Uh, We should talk about trust. There's another aspect of trust, which is around governance. Okay, hit me with it. Uh, So (laughs) governance sounds really dull, and it is dull. It is dull and worthy. (laughs) But it's also really interesting because governance is about control mm-hmm. and it's about politics and a bunch of other things. Yes. And uh, there are lots of people, I suppose, when they look at um, permissionless systems like Bitcoin or mm-hmm. Ethereum, they might say, well, there is no governance. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, they're wrong, I believe. So governance is either um, implicit or explicit. It's implicit means it's hidden away or it hasn't been written down anywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just just the state of control. Um, and there is always someone in control, mm-hmm. just to be clear. And what we are doing with uh, Corda Network is being clear about who is in control. And we're, we're taking uh, a, an approach to explicit governance. We've written down all of our governance rules for the network. Mm-hmm. So the, the trust route that we were talking about just now, that trust route is uh, is owned by 
this the governance body for the Cordon Network. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we decided to do was create an independent body, mm-hmm. separate from R3. Um, that's kind of a bold move for us, yeah. but it's important because we need Corda Network itself to have a number of key attributes um, and the way it's controlled to have a number of key attributes. So it needs to be controlled fairly mm-hmm. and openly. That means anyone who wants to use it is welcome to join it and, mm-hmm. and participate on it. Participate on it. But we also need it uh, to be governed in a transparent and democratic way mm-hmm. by its participants. And that means that the participants themselves get to d- determine the rules of the network. It isn't determined Ooh, for them. Dangerous. It. Just kidding. <laughs> no, it's democratic. I'm <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Well, that's cool. Uh, and we also need um, the governance body to show stability. Yeah. So, you know, it's great if it's open and transparent and fair today and then tomorrow it all changes and, um, you know, someone, you know, big brother comes in and decides, for example... To, mm-hmm. to raise the, the rent, which is what could happen. Got it. You know, you, you get organizations that want to join a network, uh, and, and so they come on and they, and they build their applications on top of it, mm-hmm. and they, their customer base also comes and joins them as well. That's really, really sticky. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ability for a network, a business network of 100 or 1,000 participants to say, uh, we don't like this place. We're moving off somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's hard. That's kind of what the Pilgrim Fathers did <laughs> going to the U.S. Yeah. You have to up sticks and go somewhere else, and it's and it's you know massively disruptive. Yeah. And because of that, most people don't want to do that. They, what uh, the governing body needs to show is that it's make doesn't uh, change its rules capriciously or arbitrarily as it goes along. It says these are our rules. Uh, we're publishing these. Um, anyone can read them. Uh, we we will change them if we need to. If we've got the rules wrong, mm-hmm. of course, we need to be a little bit flexible. Mm-hmm. But in general, people who want to use this network will be able to see how uh, it's governed, and they'll be able to participate in the governance because mm-hmm. it's democratic, um, and they'll be in control, yeah. not not some corporate organization. Yeah, that's super important. So... In order to, to get there, we decided to set up a foundation. Oh, on to the foundation. All right. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> Jobs and knowledge. Wait, actually, really quick first question. Right. Do other blockchains have, like, a network, like Corda Network? Uh, actually, they don't. Well, I, I say that. Uh, of course, there are the permissionless yeah, uh, yeah. platforms like Ethereum and Bitcoin, uh-huh. and they have one big network. So in yeah. a sense, yes, they do have... A uh, single global network that anyone can join, okay. and and so, quarter network is taking um, what has been seen as a, a corporate focused blockchain platform, and and turning it into something that's much more global and open. On Got top it. of which, applications can be built. Got it. So it, it's it's an interesting hybrid. It's taking us towards a more open network. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still a little bit different because for quarter network, you'll still know the identity of your counterparties, of the people you're trading with. Yes. Okay. That's um, interesting. We're so unique. Yeah. Well, the the other thing I think is that um, Corda, by design, allows multiple applications to work together. And I think you'll find that um, other blockchain platforms designed for corporate use it's harder for them to achieve that. I, I'm not going to say they, they can't achieve it, but mm-hmm. 
we think this is unique at the moment, at least. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Okay, so now, what is the Corda Network Foundation? So uh, the foundation is this governance body that's mm-hmm. going to that's going to um, run and determine the future of Corda Network. Mm-hmm. And uh, the foundation is being set up in Holland. Uh, it's called a Dutch Stichting. Someone <laughs> corrected me on my pronunciation. It's spelt Stichting. <laughs> and when I first said it, naively, um, yeah, there were some Dutch people. Oh, you hate to see that. In the audience. They quickly ran up and corrected <laughs> oh. me. Um, but they, uh, not they, it, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it is, uh, it's interesting because uh, Stichting has no shareholders. It's okay. this really cool legal entity structure that has a board of directors, mm-hmm. and the board of directors decide the activities of the foundation, okay. but it has no shareholders and it can't make a profit, and it can't distribute a dividend. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I said that one of the reasons we're doing this is so that uh, network users know that uh, the network owner, controller, can't come along and stitch them up and raise the rent. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that the foundation can't make a profit is exactly in line with, with our intention. Yeah. And uh, the foundation has a board of directors. The board of directors make the decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, there are 11 seats. Okay. Um, and what we want is for participation from uh, members of the network. We want them to come forward. We want them to stand for election uh, on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have various controls in place to try and ensure that we've got as much diversity as, uh, as we can get, mm-hmm. but without being too prescriptive. So yeah. I can talk a little bit about that. Um, and then uh, what will happen, what we want to happen is that uh, people join the network and they become participants in the foundation. So we call them participants. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they pay a membership fee. Okay. Uh, and the membership fee is very low. It just covers the issuance of an identity for them. Mm-hmm. But it also gives them a vote. So cool. uh, identity and voting and uh, participation, they're all linked closely together. Mm-hmm. And it's one of these things per per company, per, per, per organization that participates. Got it. Um, and uh, then the directors are uh, nominated by people and they're elected by the participants. So it's a democratic election process. So it's not like, um, you know, we've had some problems with referenda referendums in the UK mm-hmm. recently. Um, where we're going with governance is that uh, the population votes for the board, the board makes decisions. Got it. Rather than the population as a whole voting on every decision. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So wh- at what point did you realize that you were going to need the foundation? Did you know that all along or...? Were you kind of building this out and kind of working on the governance model and stuff, and then you realized? No, not at all. I think uh, it became intuitive over the summer of 2018. Oh, okay. So pretty recently. Yeah. Um, and it, it, we had to. We were getting more serious with a number of projects that wanted to to use it, mm-hmm. and they were worried um, about governance. Yeah. In fact, um, I don't know if I can name them, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, <laughs> A uh, trade finance project called Marco Polo yeah. uh, with um, a backing organization called the uh, Universal Trade Network, mm-hmm. the UTN, which is a governance body, um, a reinsurance network called B3I, mm-hmm. where B3I acts as a governance body as well for the, you know, that 
those participants from the insurance or reinsurance now, um, industry, yeah. they're very focused on governance and they wanted this long-term stability. Yeah. And we could have said, well, we'll set up um, a committee, you know, it won't be a separate uh, body. But then there's always the question about, well, if it's not a separate body, then who really is in control? Who's in charge here? Yeah. And who can change things? Who, you know, who can, uh, in behind the scenes, they can, you know, adjust a few knobs and then the control structure changes. Yeah. The point about setting an, up a separate organization is um, it's much more explicit about the control structure. Yeah. Foundation has articles, association and bylaws. Um, those have been, uh, or they're, they're due to be notarized actually tomorrow. Um, and uh, those are the laws and rules that the foundation has to live by and the board of directors has to obey. Very cool. It seems like a lot of work building that from the ground up. <laughs> uh, but necessary. And it's also it shows that you guys thought so much about, obviously, governance and trust. And yeah. That's super important. Well, we're thinking with a 20-year horizon. Yeah. So if it, because we want people to come on for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and if it's going to be for 20 years, it has to be done right. Yeah, And definitely. if it takes six months to build, then that's what it takes. Yeah. Thinking about the future. I feel like this, um, everything we're doing, you have to think about scalability and, and the future, how blockchain will work. So Yeah. And it's really important because a blockchain is not like, uh, I don't know, a room booking system. Yeah. So a company can decide to change its room booking system anytime and the impact on its employees is not that great. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they have to learn a new system. That's about it. Yeah. Um, blockchain systems, they're going to be, or blockchain applications, they're going to be used to re-architect and re-engineer businesses because to make, to make any sense of it, you have to say, well, we want to reduce reconciliation. We want to reduce a whole swathe of costs in our business. Mm -hmm. And that means that we need to actually to change uh, the structure of the business as well. We need to change business processes and we need to change the way that people are deployed. And all of those things takes time. Yeah. So I, I believe uh, that, you know, blockchain deployment has probably uh, needs at least a 10 year time frame, two years wow. or three years to build software, uh, a couple of years to get a few pilot projects going um, where they they start to have a real impact on the way the business runs. Yeah. And then once they prove themselves, then it's possible at that point for businesses to justify a much larger scale change right across their business. It yeah. takes a lot of time. It takes 10 years. Yeah, for sure. It's so funny you use the room booking um, analogy because we've had to deal with that in the office. <laughs> I find it annoying. But anyways, that's a small, small scale thing. So if I wanted to join the quarter network, how would I do that? So if you wanted to join the quarter network, yes. um, so the first thing to say is that anyone can join. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't want to be prescriptive about who can join mm -hmm. because if we're too prescriptive, then we, um, we stop the business networks we want to run on top from having enough control. Okay. So, uh, for example, if we said, well, it's only for, you know, you, I mean, this would be an extreme example, but it's only for uh, European and American businesses then if you're a business application that does a lot of business in Asia, you'd be, you know, stuffed. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's open to all by intention. Um, we probably will need to do a degree of sanction screening, but that's really about it. Yeah. Um, and and uh, thereafter, 
It's open to people who are running both uh, Corda Enterprise, but also are the open source version of Corda. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't discriminate in that sense. It, it, it you know, the the rules for issuing identity are intended to be really fair and transparent. Um, there is, uh, as I said, a participation fee. Uh, the, the foundation cares that everyone pays. It cares that. Uh, the cost of running the network is borne by all of the participants, not just by some of them. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the reason for having a separate participation fee that is separate from any uh, other licensing arrangement. Mm-hmm. But of course, uh, anyone who's licensing Corda can choose to include participation fees within that license if they wish. Gotcha. As far as the foundation is concerned, it doesn't matter who pays, but it does care that all of the participants um, have been paid for. Got it. Uh, then in terms of joining, um, it's a straightforward process. Uh, you download Corda, um, you, uh, ish- you run Corda, and you issue what's called a certificate signing request. Got it. Um, and what that does is uh, it sends across some details to uh, the, con- the identity issuance service, uh, which we call the doorman for Corda Network. And that identity issuance ser- uh, service takes your details um, and signs a certificate for you. Uh, and that certificate is what you then hold. It contains your public key. Um, and you can then create uh, a certificate for um, communication with other uh, participants on the network, a TLS certificate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that certificate you use to present when you're connecting to other nodes. Okay. Um, you'll also get added to what we call the network map so that uh, other participants can find you. Cool. Uh, and thereby start to transact with you. So it's pretty pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, we have some features that allow uh, privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something we're continuing to work on. We know that uh, there are some applications which want to be part of Corda Network in future, but uh, they want to remain as a closed user group or something like that in the short term. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the features that we're working on will allow that. Uh, but we think that um, when applications like Cache are available, uh, being on Corda Network would be very attractive. Yeah. I, I should actually just try and explain why uh, it makes sense commercially a All little right. bit more. So um, from a participant's point of view, there are two main reasons. Um, one is uh, Corda was designed so that with a, with, an <clears throat> with a single node, you could run many different applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea is to try and keep the... IT, the information technology estate in a large corporate as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, the other reason is because uh, we are looking to a future where uh, digital assets like cash are available on Corda Network. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're a participant, you might well receive cash in one application. Let's say you receive cash, you're a net receiver in trade finance, mm-hmm. and you're a net spender in... Um, uh, another application, you, you're, I don't know, for example, syndicated lending. Or, okay. or there are times at which you're sending and receiving money in for a syndicated lending application. Okay. And this cash should be able to flow across these yeah. two different business applications. Um, from a business network operator, there, there are a couple of reasons why quarter Network makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is you don't have to run infrastructure like the doorman and map yourself. Um, and because... Uh, businesses, banking businesses in particular, but others, corporate businesses, need 24-7 uh, 
uh, operations. Mm-hmm. They actually need a team of people who can work around the clock to support business networks. Yeah. All of that um, is handled by Cordon Network itself. So we have an operations wow. team that does that. Hmm. Um, then there's the trust route. You know, setting yeah. up a trust route is incredibly complex and, and expensive. Uh, and again, we're saving business network operators from the need to have to set up their own trust route. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing, again, is um, their applications and their business processes will work better if they have access to shared data, uh, data for identity and data for cash and other assets. And we're oh. working with uh, quite a number of partners on KYC and identity data that mm-hmm. can be shared across. Uh, and we're also working with Todd. Uh, Todd leads the Digital Asset Working Group, yep. or is the organizer of that, uh, to bring digital assets onto Corda Network. Yeah. He's a frequent podcaster. He's been on a few times. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. The community around Corda and just blockchain in general is just amazing to me. Yeah. So... Cool. So if you could say like one thing for listeners to take away from this about Corda, and one thing is kind of hard, but about Corda Network and Corda Network Foundation, what would it be? Uh, the one thing is uh, Corda Network is like the internet of Corda nodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Corda Network Foundation is um, a dull, boring and worthy organization that makes sure that bad things won't happen. That was great. That was very concise. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Hopefully we can have you back on in a few months so we can talk about more updates on Quarter Network. Yeah, no, that'd be great. And I'll try and uh, dream up a quarter joke or a quarter song before then. Oh, yeah, we need a nice little intro. Okay, cool. You'll do a song. <laughs> I I'll can take, be your I'll backup. Take, I'll take singing lessons. Okay, good. Then. Okay. <laughs> me too. No one wants to hear me sing. It's terrible. All right. Thank you. Um, everyone follow James on Twitter. You have blog posts coming out about uh, Quarter Network. So I'll link to as many things as I can. Um, thank you again. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life in the Fast Chain. We have so many good episodes to come as well. Um, Share the podcast with your friends. Tweet at us comments, um, suggestions, just nice things about the host. That'd be cool. Um, Yeah, goodbye. Have a nice day. Adios.